Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I'm so excited about today's show. On today's show, I have a fantastic mom who's our guest. Hi, Pearl. You're there? Hi. Hi, Laura. And so she's here. We've been talking a little bit, so I've gotten to know her for about five minutes before the show, and then it's so funny, I'll have to share this. I had just said to her, hey, before the show starts, there's a long pregnant pause, and don't feel like you've gotten disconnected. Everything's okay. And then today, the pause was so long that I felt like something had technologically gone wrong, and I started talking, so there you go. Uh, Yeah, that's what I heard. Oh, that pause it gets longer and longer. So anyway, we are here and we are all set to talk about a really common question that parents have. And this is really, should I focus on articulation or the intelligibility piece or not? And if I do it, how best can I go about that? And Pearl wrote me a comment a couple of weeks ago. I started a new post. Uh, at teachmetotalk.com called, let me get the right name. I'm trying to click over there. It's on the homepage, and it says, have a question, I'm here to help. And the reason I did that is because I get, gosh, two to 300 emails a day, not always from parents, but a lot of those are from parents. And some days the questions are eerily similar. I mean, I have to click back and look at it to be sure that a mom hasn't sent the question in repetitively just to make sure that I get it because there are so many similarities among children who have speech-language delays and disorders and then so many commonalities with parents who are asking questions. So I don't always get to answer every single question. I just, you know, it depends on what amount of time I have and I sort of have to pick and choose. And so I started this post, and Pearl, you're one of the moms, one of the first moms to send me a question there in that method, and I so appreciate that. And so I asked her to be a guest on the podcast because she asked a really kind of, first of all, general question, not general, but common question with, you know, should I work on this or not? And then she gave me such good examples of her child's speech sound errors, for lack of a better word, that I thought, well, I'm not going to not address this because I think she could fix this or try to work on this pretty um, easily in the context of some of the things that she's already doing with him. So that's kind of the background with how um, or why I asked her to be a guest. And so I, I was asking her before we went on air today, should I read your comment and then kind of move from there and address the questions and and Pearl you were so cute you said well I don't want it to be too long it may be too long so we're just (laughs) going to talk about it a little bit and I'll sort of start and then any you know you can just kind of interrupt me Pearl and um you know, just give us background. First of all, you say, I have a three-year-old diagnosed with autism, and he's suspected to have apraxia. He doesn't have much of a problem in the receptive language department as he understands the majority of what's being asked of him. And see, this is where I would naturally stop and say, that's so good, because sometimes so many of our little friends who are diagnosed with autism have huge problems with the receptive language. So... um Kind of tell us a little bit about him, Pearl, and I know that I asked you, you know, how long ago did you get the official diagnosis? So kind of catch everybody up with, with all of that. And, and I know that um, you said, too, you were a little bit surprised about getting that diagnosis, and I bet one of the reasons is because his receptive language is so good, right? Right, yeah, that was that was the concern. I mean, he literally, on everything we say to him, he, he understands that he knows um, following directions, he's great at following directions, but you know it's just that expressive piece that's that's so hard for him. And I think a lot of it too is um, I don't know if you, um, I think I 
put this down, that he is also um, a huge sensory seeker and yeah. very, very, very active um, visual yeah. guy, numbers, yeah. shapes, alphabets. Um, so I think a lot of that is because he's so sometimes so distracted by things around him that it's hard for him to actually focus. But right. um, but OT and I are working on, on that with getting him to move, climb, you know, all the deep pressure and um, right. weighted blankets and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it's just that it's, it's that ex- the expressive language. And he, he has the intent to communicate. That's what's really hard to it, – it's hard to determine whether or not we should work on any kind of articulation. I'm just kind of confused because in speech therapy, when he was in therapy before, sometimes they wouldn't see what I saw. So that was always the hard part. It's like, no, he he does. He'll sit for me. He'll he'll focus. He'll look at me, and 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 then doesn't really perform the same way in therapy. So, well, thank goodness he had you though, and that you were able to really identify some of his strengths. And I will just say, for therapists who are listening, you know, sometimes it really is hard when what you see in front of you, session after session after session, doesn't always match what mom is telling you. And there is a tendency sometimes, well, it can go either way. Sometimes it really is that mom, uh, moms have, they're so blinded by <laughs> their love for their child that sometimes they do see every single flicker of an eyelash or tiny movement of the mouth or just a little babble they will you know sometimes they, I, I know i remember this one mom that I, a kid would say something like blah, blah, and she would say oh he said butterfly and <laughs> i'll just <laughs> tell you that was not what was going on at all but cognitively uh because he had such huge cognitive deficits and no one ever really saw or thought that those kinds of things were going on. And so we'll have that, and sometimes therapists kind of get used to that, and they almost dismiss a really sharp mom's observations too soon. And they just kind of think, well, and I've done this too, and then I've happily been proven wrong, where I think, gosh, mom was right about that kid. He really does understand more than he's showing me he can. So it's so good that you were persistent and uh, uh, really stuck in there and got your therapist on your same page about that. Is she believing you more now? Is she able to see more of his strengths now? Yeah, and a lot of times I do have to keep reminding her to, um, um, you know, that the, the things that he does a lot at home. And, um, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of hard sometimes, but you just, you have to just keep, telling them exactly what what happens because they don't do it and they don't focus in therapy and it's like oh okay well he's still at the social game level but part of me just really feels like with me he he tries to say it he tries to say it so it's kind of like we're stuck in the social games um yeah you know arena and i I almost want to that's why you know i'm talking to you is 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 i'm I'm wondering about the intelligibility piece you know or or yeah the articulation you know so well, let me just ask this: Does he, because of his sensory system needs, does he never demonstrate, uh, you know, kind of his normal receptive language there in the session, or do you think the, I mean, does the speech pathologist give him credit for that? The receptive uh, piece? yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's there, um, and I think for for a couple of the times too, I think the problem was that. She, we were just giving him the same things or, or yeah. similar things. Or if we give him three things or show him three pictures, he he's like, okay, point to one. Which one do you want? And he's just like, you know, just sitting there. And then he'll just he'll he'll grab one. But a lot of it is, I think, it's just because he wants to touch that laminated piece of paper on his hand, you know. And and yeah. so she thinks that he wants that. So when we take it out. He's like, what are you doing? I don't want this, you know. And then it's just, and then it can kind of escalate from there because she's like, oh, well, you said you wanted this, so we're gonna play with this. And so, oh, you know, gosh. it's kind of like, I don't, I don't think you, you know, I think maybe we should change it up a bit, you know. So, I mean, I yeah. try to, to let them know because I, I really do, you know, focus on everything. I mean, I play with him as much as I possibly can, and and I really try to just focus on, you know, what he wants and what he likes. Right. Okay, 
but you do think that she's recognizing that there are receptive strengths. You don't you don't think that she's kind of off that. I mean, she is giving him credit for what he knows because this is why this is important. If you well, let me just say, and for any therapist out there listening and any mom listening, when we have a child who's three who has a significant receptive language deficit, we have no business working on articulation or intelligibility. So that's an important factor. If she's on a separate page than you, and if she's thinking, that, and I'm, by she I mean the speech pathologist, and the speech pathologist is thinking, whoa, we have this kid who's not able to understand any language. He's not able to make choices. He doesn't follow any directions. He has a hard time even interacting and staying with me, you know, because of the social skill issues or because of his sensory stuff. You know, there is no way if she's focused, if she's keeping her practice developmentally focused, that she's even going to think that she should be worried about the stuff we're going to talk about today with intelligibility. So that's why I'm asking you, Pearl, if she's, because if she's on that page, if she's thinking, man, he does not make connections with words, he is not able to follow simple commands, you know, she is going to completely blow off any kind of focus on intelligibility. So, um, you don't think that's happening, right? You think she no. is giving him credit? Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we see that, definitely. Okay. okay, good. Well, I'm glad about that, but for any other mom listening, you know, if you have a speech pathologist who's telling you we're not going to work on intelligibility yet, it's because developmentally she doesn't think that a kid is ready. And I'll just say, until a child is really able to follow two-step directions, is able to sit there with me and really um, play without lots of effort on my part to keep him engaged until he's able to kind of follow the routine of therapy. There's no way I would work on intelligibility either. And again, that some moms really get so, so frustrated about that because they feel like you know, get on with it, lady. You know, you're a speech therapist. You're you're supposed to make him easier to understand, but until a kid has those prerequisite pieces, there's no way that he's going to be ready. And so I'm glad that doesn't really apply to your little guy, Pearl. So you, he is able to do those kinds of, um, follow those kinds of directions with you and certainly understands what you're talking about, even though he's a busy, on-the-go, sensory seeker kind of kid. Right, right, yeah. Okay. I've also noticed so, that it helps with the deep pressure, actually. That helps calm him. So it, it does help with the focus when I, you know, just give him some a couple squeezes here and there, and that, that does seem to help. That's good. And were you doing some of that before you started OT? Was your speech person able to suggest some of those things to you, or did you have to learn about most of your sensory stuff from an OT? From an OT. Okay. Yeah, and when did he start? Okay. When did he start therapy? Uh, about 18, 19 months. Wow. So you've been in for about a year and a half. He's He's been in for a while, and we actually, um, there were 30-minute sessions um, twice uh-huh. uh, twice a week. So okay. it wasn't very long, and until we, I was never really given a whole lot of information. I actually had to do a lot of research myself, but I just, I didn't, because of, um, I did his issues in expressive language, I started kind of reading up on other things and they were talking about having more therapy and, you know, I'm like, okay, well, should should we do more therapy? Because we, we didn't really know um, before what to do. We thought, okay, you know, he's in speech therapy. We're going to trust our speech therapist and, you know, this is probably right. all he needs right now. So we weren't really knowledgeable, I guess. And, uh, yeah, but now it's just things are completely different. Now he's got all kinds of therapists coming in. We're waiting in on it. Um, uh, ABA and okay. a HAB person. So, yeah, there's a couple of, we're on the waiting list for a lot of different things. Okay, so you've got a lot of stuff going on. And I don't know if you said this, he's just recently, even though you've been in therapy for a while, he's just recently received that official autism diagnosis, correct? Right. Okay. And so tell me how... Um, the whole apraxia diagnosis kind of came to be. Talk to me about how that came up. 
Um, well, the kind of the classic signs, not babbling when he was young, um, uh, the big thing is the inconsistency of his words, okay. which I've okay. actually noticed starting to improve because there are words he says consistently now because before okay. that he just wouldn't say it at all, you know, yeah. or like he wouldn't say it um, the same way every time. But okay. I, I, like I said, I just, just, I think it's starting to improve a little bit because he'll say it. But the, the thing I wanted to mention is that sometimes when I do say it again, even if he says it consistently, because we have gates around here and usually we like keep them closed so we can stay open. And so that has been consistent every time. Oppo, Oppo, Oppo. He always says Oppo. But when I say open, if I try to say the word again, he'll say pepen. So it's it changes when I say something. It's kind of weird. Yes. Yeah. That's classic apraxia. That's just classic apraxia. And that's one of the really best diagnostic uh, characteristics. And a lot of times um, therapists will, well, let's just say this. Apraxia is really, it's both overdiagnosed and underdiagnosed. <laughs> overdiagnosed oh. in that. A lot of times, a lot of, and this is why the American Speech and Hearing Association has been so opposed to children under three getting a diagnosis of apraxia because so many times, no matter what's going on speech sound disorder-wise, children kind of look the same when they're not saying anything. And it kind of, or and they may have really unstable vocabularies or uh, a little sound production system that again isn't very consistent, or or they may just be using lots and lots of uh, vocalizations that they're not intending really to be words. And so then a therapist or a mom again with with good intentions really kind of thinks, well, he's just saying it differently every time when uh, that kid doesn't have enough receptive language even to have words mean anything. And so. Um, there's some confusion, and that causes apraxia to be overdiagnosed. But then there's certainly in pockets of the United States, there are places that even though a kid might have all of the uh, you know speech sound characteristics that point to an apraxia diagnosis, no one would ever say that because they were really trained in graduate school not to diagnose a kid, or that a kid that apraxia is so rare that the a person would never, a, a clinician would never see it very often. So again, I think it depends on where you live as to what might be happening. But certainly, this is why I'm saying this, it, especially for therapists, if you have a kid that it is that you know receptively he, he understands that word and he he's really trying to say a word on purpose, and then over and over and over and over you hear changes in how a child says that, that inconsistency is just like a ding, 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 ding that should go off in your mind that apraxia is something you should consider for that child. This, and he also has some pretty significant vowel errors based on what you were telling me kind of in his descriptions of his words. Is that correct, Pearl, or did I just kind of read into that? Um, actually, not the vowels. Um, a lot of uh, he he's his vowels are down. He's got all his vowels down fine. It's the final consonant deletion. Um, he he basically doesn't for most of the words he doesn't say the the last consonant. So yeah, okay. so like for ball, he'll say ball. Pretzel, pet. You know, owl for out. And let me just say that. That's a really kind of, um, certainly children with apraxia will delete that last consonant, but a lot of times what we see with apraxia is kids do have those significant vowel errors and that inconsistency that we already talked about. And a lot of times kids with apraxia will omit the initial consonant in the word instead of the final consonant, which makes apraxia so freaky, for lack of a better word, because lots of kids, even kids with typically developing speech and language skills until they're over three will omit those final consonants. But his stuff is a little bit even more um, like OPO. To say OPO for open, that's still a vowel error. Do you know what I mean? Because he doesn't have the correct vowel in that Oh, I see syllable. what you mean, like a replacement. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, okay, so... Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a deletion to be an error. It can just be a substitution. So oh, or a okay. replacement, like you just called it. So I think when I'm looking at this little list that you sent me, I think there were another there were let's see. You know when he has more trouble with that um with his vowels, Pearl, those those second syllables. You were telling me that he has a lot he does a lot of just consonant vowel or vowel consonant syllables. So he'll either leave that second syllable off in a two syllable word or duplicate the first syllable. So like pretzel, is it just pa or is it pepe? He says pepe. Yeah, he doubles yeah. a lot of his um his uh his words, especially the just the single syllable words. Um, he yeah. doubles it, and then you know it's not always like for cow. It's not always like cow cow. It's cacao, and then he'll say gego for go. Um, a lot of the a lot of this is see the those are yeah, and those even how you said those two things like cow and cacao and however you say gego or how, however you said that, I would still consider that that word to have a vowel error as a component of that because he's not just saying cow cow you know he's got an yeah. extra little vowel in there that's wrong does that make sense to you oh yeah yeah okay and that this is why i'm saying this too so if any therapist is listening going well if he doesn't have vowel errors he doesn't have apraxia he this kid's been misdiagnosed i don't think that's it at all i think you were just kind of thinking about it in a different way that i thought about it when i read it that's so good. That's really good to know because I, I really didn't know that. And I actually have your um, apraxia and phonological disorder DVD. When I was watching, I was like, vowel errors. Okay, vowel errors. He doesn't seem to have vowel errors, but, you know, that he explanation. Does. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really I mean, good I to know. But I haven't met him, but just based on what you've said about him, I just don't want to let that go because right. I, vowel errors are a really important diagnostic characteristic uh, characteristic of apraxia. And so if when you hear, if, if, if you went in and said to someone, he doesn't have any vowel errors, they might really lean away from apraxia as a correct diagnosis. For him, and again, I haven't met him. You know, I'm not here to kind of confirm it or say you, you know, a, uh, you know, I'm in no way, shape, or form am I suggesting there's been a misdiagnosis. I'm just saying, I think he has some vowel errors too, and that's really an important <laughs> point to talk about and address because that certainly is going to change how you would work with him too. So I'm glad we kind of straightened that up, and you'll even be able to talk with your SLP a little bit better about that now that you kind of know that's going on too. Right. And, you know, let me say this too. Vowels actually will limit a child's intelligibility even more than consonants because vowels kind of let us know um, more about what the word is intended to be than even consonants do. Because, again, with typically developing babies, a lot of times they leave off consonants or they substitute consonants. But most of the time in a child with typically developing speech sounds, his vowels are stable and they're correct. But like you said, he'll say OPO for open for you all the time when he initiates it, but then when you say open, he changes it to apa. So can you see how he's got vowel errors there when he's repeated that? Right, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. He wants to yeah. say the E, but he's, he, you know, separates it from the actual word. So he'll just, yeah, he'll just say that. Yeah. Yeah, So, but it's, it's kind of an important distinction. I just kind of want you to know that moving forward so that, so that you know, gosh, there's some we gotta we gotta work on the vowel part of this word too. It's not just about the consonant, and that'll just kind of change how you think about it. It certainly would change probably what you emphasize when you're talking too. That's why that sing-song tone of voice works so well because when we are sing-songy, we're not really exaggerating our consonants with those words. We're really focused on the vowels, and that's what. That's what gives the listener more information about what the intended word should be than even the consonant does. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've kind of beat that horse 
over and over, so we will move on from that one. But I just want you to know that. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I'm, I'm glad I because I, 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 I had never really thought about that at all. So you can read it all you want, Laura. You. Nor should you, because you're a mom. You're not the speech yeah. pathologist. Yeah, and so well, that's yeah. okay. I'm glad we kind of yeah. I'm glad we kind of pulled that out. But but the inconsistency and the vowel errors and the simplification of patterns that's what we kind of look for for a diagnosis for an initial. I mean, those are kind of the core big things that we look at. The and by simplification of patterns, I mean that a kid has difficulty sequencing, meaning he's just going to delete or leave out the more complicated parts of the word and kind of stick to um, simpler syllable structures, which is certainly what you see going on with your son because he either, you know, just says a couple of sounds in the word, the first couple of sounds, or he goes that easy route and makes the second syllable sound just like the first syllable. And, again, that's pretty darn consistent with kids with apraxia. Kids with phonological disorders will do that too. And, you know, again, we can't really sit here and separate those. What's different between both of those diagnoses, but I'm really kind of saying that for therapists listening so they are thinking about it and and kind of making that distinction diagnostically when they're wondering, you know, does, is this kid just a phonological kid versus is this kid a kid with apraxia? And that shouldn't mean as much to you as it should a therapist. So we're just we're going to move on from here, okay? <laughs> Okay. Okay. So this is this was your big thing. Your whole purpose of your question was he has about fifty different word approximations, but most of those words he doesn't say them accurately. But you can understand them, right? Yeah. Pretty yeah, much. I can understand because he. I mean, he has said them fairly consistently, and he's he's also such a big. That was another, you know, one of my questions as far as what is a word or what counts as a word, and that's where I got yeah. kind of a little confused as as far as word approximations. And I know that you mentioned it that it's it's a word that he uses consistently, but he labels. I mean, the majority of the words he says are nouns, so you know, it's hence his autism diagnosis. <laughs> Because that kids with autism routinely, I mean, they left, especially once they become verbal, they label, 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 label. Um, And that's what they like to do. And I always like to think it's because that's how their little brains work. They're pretty black and white. And if they see it, they're going to name it because they know that's what they're supposed to say and what they're, that's how this game of talking is played. You know, it's, and I always kind of, kind of, try to help parents understand that, yeah, we have to teach more than nouns. We've got to get verbs in there and we've got to get prepositions in there and we have to get some descriptive words and some pronouns so that they have a big enough word bank to make a phrase because when you have a kid, you know, that even has more words than your little guy does, you know, I've I've met lots of kids at, at three who may have 300 words in their vocabulary, and 289 of those words are nouns. And so it's really, really hard to move to phrases when you only have nouns. And so that's something that I certainly wanted us um, to be sure to talk about. But back to kind of my original point about that, it's no wonder that our little guys get stuck in labeling because that's how their brains work. I mean, they're just... That that's kind of how they're wired. Is that true with your little guy? Yeah, yeah, a little. Yeah, he's he's actually getting better though. At, and um, especially as far as like, how he knows most of the um, functions of a lot of the labels. Like, so if he'll label an apple, and then it was just recently he he put it by my mouth and he said eat. So I asked him, you know, what do we, yeah, what do we do with an apple? So it's, you know, I always try to not just say, yeah, that's an apple. I just let him know what it's for, an airplane flies or a car Perfect. goes or, you know, things like that. So, you know, it's 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 getting there because he'll say go and he'll say eat. And he even actually Good. has a couple of phrases. Like he'll say, I, you know, did it or he'll say all done. He has four okay. phrases. <laughs> okay, Good deal. Well, that's what we were going to talk about first, and that's what I um, said in my reply to you. You asked a bunch of questions. You, you Well, you didn't ask a bunch of questions. You told me about him. You said he has about 50 different words. You gave me a bunch of examples of how he pronounces words 
and we've talked a lot about that. You gave me a lot of information about that you've already said that he's really visual and he's an active sensory seeking kid. Uh, and you talked about how that, though, has gotten better. And so you are um, looking for, you know, you were saying kind of what would you do for him and that you were between therapists. So are you still between therapists or are you kind of waiting for a new person? Is that what you said? Well, we just, got, we just got another. This We actually yeah. have two now. <laughs> okay. So we okay. just we okay. just kind of got an evaluation from another speech therapist because we uh, they were suggesting that he needs more therapy, and um, okay. we just got yeah so we just got approved through long term care so financially we're a little bit more set now as as okay, far good. as that goes so yeah still kind of in the okay. beginning stages of this other one. Okay, so she's just getting to know y'all. Okay, so. This is what this is my reply back to you because he only has about 50 words and I've already talked to you about the other things that I look at before I decide if I'm ready to work with a kid on articulation or not. I would really and you know you you've told me he's moving along socially receptive language or you know he's got some good receptive language skills with his foundation. Even though those things are in place, I probably would work on phrases and prioritized phrases more than I would uh, the articulation piece, even though we are going to talk about that. And I'm going to give you some really specific things to do about that. I would still really, really focus on helping him, um, first of all, increase his vocabulary size. So like we just talked about, he's got a bigger word bank so that he can uh, have words that he's learned as single words, combine them so that he's making new spontaneous phrases on his own. And so everything is not as imitated so that it's, um, you know, his own little thought or his own little word. And I love that you kind of started with holistic phrases like I did it um, and those kinds of things. That's That's a way to kind of help with that sequencing piece. But I don't want you to forget about just really helping him increase his vocabulary. He technically has enough words to start to do some of those phrases. And so are you hearing things beyond the holistic, I did it or I got it or where did it go, or I don't remember which which ones you said he had, but are you hearing things like um, something that would be like a more traditional phrase yet, Pearl, or is he? Oh, well, is he he's, not, um, yet? Not, not really. I mean, he, he says a couple of... Um, like I said, I think well, one, two, three. Yeah, I think he only has four. Uh, one of them is um, that he says a lot is all done. Like if he doesn't want something, he's been saying that just all done, all done, all done. You know, he'll and you know occasionally he'll and say top. But I wouldn't even count all done as a phrase. I wouldn't because it's conceptually it means one thing. Because does he use? Does he say done by itself or is it always all done? No, it's always all done. Okay, so see, I would just count that as a single word. I would count that, even though technically to us it kind of looks like, and I know I'm being super picky here, and I hope you don't feel like I'm being critical because I'm not. No, no. (laughs) I don't count it as a phrase until it kind of is two different concepts joined together, like car or more, you know, cookie, or like you were saying, uh, apple, eat apple. You know, I would count those as phrases. I, that all oh, done okay. to me, that's just one little concept to him. And I would still kind of count that as a single word. But here's here's the bonus. Here's the silver lining. He is using all done. If you look at that syllable shape, I mean, that's a multisyllabic word. It's two syllables there, the all part and the done part, and he's not duplicating that. So for a, a kid who would duplicate, like you've talked about, like pretzel is pepe, I've had kids who will try to do that with the word all done, and they'll say ah-ah or duh-duh for all done. For all done. Does that make sense to you? And he's not doing that. Yeah. He's got some variation there. So that's fantastic. So he's learned. Okay, good. That's good. Yeah, that's a good that's that's good when you're looking at kind of that syllable shape stuff. So he's got a word where the all part probably is just the vowel, and then the done part is probably just the consonant and the vowel. So he's got a word that's 
the and then a little how we would write this and then a little dash and then C for the consonant and V for the uh part of done or the uh, however he says it. So that that's another syllable shape that he has. So that's that's kind of the same syllable shape as his little approximation for open. Do you see what yeah. I mean? Open or he yeah. says opa or o, opo, however he says it, however you said he said it. That's kind yeah, of opo. the vowel consonant vowel again. So all done is kind of that same little syllable shape. And again, this probably doesn't mean as much to you as it will after we talk about it. <laughs> but to a speech pathologist, that's huge. Because then you know that you've kind of opened up a new avenue for what your targets can be, for what your goals can be for word selection, because you know that he can already do that syllable shape. And that's really important when you're working with a, a kid with apraxia. And this the show, I, when I was talking about this, and I, I think I kind of promoted it like this, this is a more technical show than I usually do. <laughs> but it's really, really important because, again, I want to kind of I want to kind of shift how you think about his words, Pearl, so that when you're picking new words for him or when you're deciding what's too kind of too hard for you to be able to fix, you're going to kind of leave a word alone or versus whether you think you can change it a little bit by using what we're going to talk about in a minute. Does that make sense? Okay. I want you to kind of be yeah. able to separate with, I'm going to leave that word alone because that's too hard. And he's not going to be able to do that. And I don't want to over-frustrate him. I want him to think that talking is the coolest thing in the world and that I think he is just rocking every attempt that he makes to talk to me. You know, you can't work with a kid who developmentally is not ready for you to work on our tick or to redirect. You know, they either get too frustrated right. and mad and run away and leave you and do all kinds of things that we don't want to see. And so you've got to be kind of picky and really selective about what you try to fix right now, even even now, even as his mom, because, again, you want to always work at that just right spot so that you're not expecting him to do things that he just can't do yet. So... That's important that he that we're kind of looking at that little syllable shape there. And listen, you're you're you've got two speech pathologists, so somebody besides me should be able to talk you through this stuff too. <laughs> yeah, um, hopefully. But, but I hope this will kind of build a foundation for that, so you'll be able to have uh, kind of deeper conversations about. Right. Kind of yeah, because there's a, a lot of things that you've mentioned that I have not even heard at all, um, and from any SLP. Um, so I, you know, it's also just a fresh perspective. Okay. So, great. and again, if I, if you want to back up and talk about some of that stuff, you do, you just stopped me. Or if you don't, if some of this, you know, is the first time you've heard it and you don't understand it at all, I'll be glad to back up and talk about some of that. Do you have, is there anything that you want to stop and talk about or do you just want me to keep going? No, I think we should just keep probably keep going. I don't have anything that I can okay. think of. Okay, okay. But as I'm talking, you just feel free to interrupt. Interrupting is just fine, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So I still, even though we're going to talk about this intelligibility piece, I don't want anyone to think, anybody who's listening, and I don't want you to think this either, Pearl, that we should just drop all of the vocabulary building that we're doing and all of the really helping him add words, add words, add words, add words, because that still should trump every single thing that you work on with him. And you're clear with that, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so you're going to want to – and I love the verbs that you said he's learning. He's got eat. He's got go. In your email to me, you said he knows draw. So he's adding some good verbs, correct? Yes. Okay, so what's he doing preposition-wise, those location words? Does he have words like in, out, on, um, off, yeah, down? Yeah, well, for those, and we've actually, we I constantly say those words. And he um, he doesn't use them very often until we prompt him or if I ask him, a lot, like where do you want the the ball to go, or where do you do you want it on, or do you want it in? You know, and he he just doesn't yeah. he doesn't really say it unless we you know ask him. You tell me oh, in, you know, and he'll say he'll say eh, you know, or ah, oh, or on. Um, okay, but as far well, as words yeah. like that, they're limited. Okay, so here's what I want you to do <laughs> with 
that kind of word, here's how I would work on it with him. And again, because he has autism, it might be a little bit different, although this would apply to any kid with a language delay or disorder. But take something that he absolutely loves, his very favorite toys. Or sometimes it's even kind of funny to do it with a cookie or, you know, some kind of food that he likes. But really focus on teaching those prepositions, and you'll just do it kind of in a silly but a focused way. So, like, with a cookie, uh, you know, I have it, uh, you know, in the kid's mouth, out of the kid's mouth. The cookie's up, cookie's down, you know. what? And, again, pick a word that he like pretzel would be a good one for him, a word that he says really consistently and spontaneously and really kind of teach those prepositions in that context. And if he doesn't seem to get it then, you might have to pull it back out and just focus on one preposition at a time. But the reason that it's important that he gets these words and that he uses them spontaneously is it will tremendously increase his ability to to use phrases. So you want to keep working on those words. And it's something he certainly um, probably is going to need some extra focus on to really teach him how to do it because it's not as black and white as like learning a noun. Because, you know, you, you don't really have a picture that represents in do you know what I mean? It's just not as concrete right. as looking at a picture of a car or a picture of a ball or looking at a car or a ball. When you think about prepositions, that's kind of an abstract concept. And our little guys that are on the spectrum have difficulty with that because they are really concrete thinkers. So that's why you really want to take something that he loves and work on it you know, kind of positionally so that he understands, oh, and then you would do the same thing with maybe a car. You know, you're putting the car up, cars down, cars, you know, in the box, cars out of the box. Or if you had a bowl of pretzels, you could even put the car in the bowl. And sometimes kids will think that's really funny because it doesn't really belong there. But I think you're probably going to have to really, really work on those prepositions before he starts to use them independently. So that would be a big goal for me if I were seeing you that's something I would have you really, really working on and something we would spend time on in therapy. Does okay, that make so sense? You just talk, yeah, uh, yeah. I was just wondering if it if it was just a matter of repeating the word in, in the context of play, just like, oh, in, oh, it's in, and now it's in here, and now it's in here. Or are we get, trying to get him, asking him to say it as well? Both, and then we give both. him something. But listen, will he, will he follow directions like that if you tell him? You know, put oh, the yeah. pretzel in the bowl. Now put the pretzel under the bowl. So he'll do all that. So he understands that he's just not saying it. Exactly. Okay. So you're just going to have to do just drill, drill, drill. I, you know, right. a lot of speech pathologists will sometimes say drill and kill. You know, that's what you're just going to have to do. You're just going to have to really repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it so he gets it. And the apraxia okay. is part of this. It's just hard. It's hard for him to talk. Right. So that's certainly something I would do. So keep focusing on your new parts for him, prepositions, pronouns, and early descriptive words in addition to those nouns and verbs. All right. So you got that piece. You're going to work on the language piece, right? Got it. Of course, yes. Okay. All right. And there's a good post that I, I've linked in my response to you, making the leap from words to phrases that talks about how to kind of get those early phrases going. I've done a lot of shows about that, too, so you can go back and listen to some of those. But the biggest the biggest thing is to expand his vocabulary and work on phrases and get that going. And then for part of your focus with him, I can't believe our hours, we only have 16 minutes left on the show, Just part of your focus with him, I know, it goes so fast in real life, just part of your focus for him should be what we're going to talk about next. And so, again, I don't want anybody mistaking these techniques that we're going to use next should not be the majority of the work that you're doing with any child who only has 50 words. When a kid has 50 words, really your focus should be teaching more words and work on phrases, okay? But... For the sake of today's show, (laughs) I sound like a used car salesman or one of those people on TV. For today and for today only, (laughs) we're going to talk about more listeners that way. I know, probably. 
uh, although we do pretty well for a little podcast about speech therapy. Um, so the, for for this little segment that we're going to talk about, this is how I get kids to start to move toward more intelligible speech. Let's kind of talk about the hierarchy that we work on with that. First of all, we work on the vowels because we and we've already spent some time talking about why vowels are more important. So we're going to be sure before we any kind of that's the first thing we're going to fix in a word before we kind of move on to other stuff. We're going to look at his vowel sounds. We're also going to look at the correct number of syllables in the word. So I love instead of him saying pe for pretzel, I love that he says pepe because he's got to get that syllable, he's got to get the correct number of syllables. Okay, so that's actually a plus that he'll do that. Some kids with apraxia can't do that at all. So that's fantastic for him. And so, you know, then we're kind of thinking about consonants and learning how to shift those syllable shapes kind of comes next. So backward chaining is your very best technique for this. And this is what I wrote you about, and this is why... Um, I ask you to come on the podcast because I, when I wrote you this, I said, if this doesn't make sense to you, come on the podcast and I'll give you some real-life examples and we'll talk about it. So this is how you, for a kid who doubles the syllables or doesn't include the second syllable in a word, this is the technique that you would use for him. And so let's take a word that he already does. Like I think we talked about pizza. So for pizza, how would he say pizza normally? He he says um, on his own spontaneously he'll say pp or okay. p um, occasionally okay. yeah okay so for for pizza what you would do is you are going to work on and by work on I mean you're going to have him imitate the last syllable of the word several times in a row, and then you're going to quickly go back and add the first syllable. And let's talk about the theory of this first. Um, We learn things really from the end of a routine to the beginning, and most people think that we learn things from the beginning to the end. And let me just give you this real common example. If somebody says to you, my phone number is 299-6832, in your mind, you mentally rehearse 6832, 6832, 6832, 6832, because somewhere you kind of have the, the 299 part, or to, you even if you don't have it, you heard that 6832 last. So it's kind of what your brain, <laughs> you heard it last. Let's just say that, okay? So when we are, we're going to use the same principle to get him to say this last part of a word. So for a word like pizza, we would say to him, say, za, tell me za. So you be the kid. You be the kid right now, Pearl. So I'm going to do it with you just like I would do it with him, okay? So he said PP for pizza. And so I'm going to say to you, oh, you want pizza. Tell me za. So you say za. Good, za. Say it again, za. Za. Say za. Za. Now say pizza. Pizza. Okay, and so how that kind of works, let's, you know, even if he doesn't get it, like you pause there, Pearl, you didn't go ahead and say pizza, but you do it kind of fast like that, and you get kind of in that groove of him imitating, and he kind of overrides that inability to be able to put that word together correctly. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and I, I did read your email, or I did read your response, and I actually tried it a couple times, and it worked. I mean, <gasps> oh, it worked. And it was, it was. I mean, not all the time, but, I mean, that's the closest that we've gotten. Um, and, okay. and like I said, I had never even heard of this from anybody before, and it really, yeah. it really did help. Um, and I didn't even have to give him anything. I just kind of started doing that, but... Um, I think I was also worried about just giving him, having him expect a treat or something every time yeah. he says it. Yeah. I think that was my yeah. only and concern. This, I know. And let me explain this. So for re, for listeners who haven't read your our whole exchange here, and we went back and forth a couple different times, 
um, what what Pearl is referring to is I told her, and this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, so I hope nobody gets mad about this, but I said you might have to go all ABA about this. And so that when he, you might have to over-reward his attempts for practicing in this way. And so I recommended that, you know, she get something that he really, really, really likes and use that, like um, like a kid who liked candy. This would be a perfect example of a word that we would work on in this way and kind of use the backward chaining method. So if, and I wouldn't do it, even though I wrote it this way to you, as I'm thinking about this in real life, I probably would sit there with this piece of candy. If he was saying can-can or D-D for candy, I would say, say D, tell me D, say D. And again, I would expect him to be saying D, D, D after all of my little prompts there. And then I would throw in candy and see if he could do that. And then that's probably when I would, in real life, <laughs> give him that piece of candy so that we could keep it pretty darn fast and moving right along. So I, I get that you don't want to stop and have to give him something in between all of those little attempts. If he'll do it for you without it, that's exactly how you should do it. Yeah, and you said it did kind of work. What words did you use for that? Uh, pizza. <laughs> pizza okay. and um I can't even remember what it was. It was another one. He was holding an object or something like that. But it, and just a lot of the ones that I did use, it did it did work. It popped out. I mean, I, I had never heard that before. So yeah. um, I've never heard him put two words together like that before or two syllables. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it was very helpful. But listen, you know that he can do it because all done. How does he say all done? Right, yeah. I mean, he just says it like we yeah. say, all done. I mean, Oh, yeah, except for the he end. He it. says, all done. All done. Okay. He can't okay. do the That's okay, then. Right. But he is capable of making two, putting two syllables together that don't have the same sounds, that that have different vowel yes. sounds. And that's what you're really changing there is that, and even if he were saying, let's see, for a word like pizza, even if he was saying pizza for pizza and not getting a consonant there in the middle, the za, that's okay. That's going to be a lot easier to understand than PP for pizza. Do you see what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. And see, and even that word like PP for pizza, I would still consider that a vowel error too, because okay. the the part he didn't have the correct vowel there. He's putting an e in the second syllable of that word. He's not using the uh. Do you see how that's a vowel error too? Right. Okay. So let's practice. If you were going, what's another, let's see, I wish I had his word list here. Okay, so for cookie, Pearl, I'm going to put you on the spot here. How would you do backward chaining for cookie? I'm going to be the kid. I'm going to be him and you be you. So how would you do backward chaining for cookie? How how would you talk to me? How would you teach me that word if I were your kid? I would say, say key. Key. Say key again. Key. Say key. That's a cookie. Cookie. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to go pretty fast. And since your little guy is busy, you can really probably get away with going pretty fast because that's kind of his gear anyway, right? Right, yeah, and I think that really is what helps because I, I, I try to be very playful with him because he loves being tickled and, you know, touched and, you know, and I I do that and I... I was like poking him while I was doing. It. I was kind of like tickling him um, for each syllable, like you know, cookie or you yeah. know, key, key. I would touch him every time. Yeah. So I think that was part of it too, that he, you know, just making it playful like that. Totally, and that really should be the foundation of every single thing we do. No matter what technique we're applying, no matter if we're looking at kind of something real technical like this backward chaining bit, or whether you're, you know, he's about to start ABA. You need to really make sure his ABA person still keeps it fun and still keep, you know, they're certainly going to go fast because that's one of the hallmarks of ABA. But they right. but really check in and make sure that they are, um, you know, still keeping it pretty fun. You, you don't want to you don't want to go really dry with him because he's not really responding in that way yet. And then you just lose that instructional time because then he's probably mad or trying to get the heck out of there. So, Keep your keep your eye on that. I know you will because you sound like such a great mom. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I try to 
you know, do as much as I possibly can. I mean, that's why I'm here with you too. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. All right, let me tell. Let me say one more thing that we talked about in the uh, post that we haven't talked about on air. You said one thing he does do is he adds an ah at the ends of words, like eat ah and egg ah. Is that is he still doing that kind of thing? Yeah, actually the eats he actually just because he used to just say e e e or e e e for egg, but now he's actually adding that t, and it's actually been very consistent with the t, but it's that. A uh, part, <laughs> you know, that he just yeah. he can't really let go. But I mean, I'm, I'm just glad he has the T. I'm like, thank God I heard the T. You know, it was there. Yeah. Even though he has that ah, uh, so yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what that is. Well, first of all, because this is, and again, we I talked to you about it already or explained it already in uh, the post. But I want to make sure that we're talking about it for people who haven't read the post. It's actually. A lot of even typically developing toddlers will do that, will put that uh on the ends of words when they first start to include final consonants. So a lot of times we'll hear that and think, oh, that is such a weird error pattern. I can't, you know, how am I going to fix that? A lot For a lot of kids, it's just a step in learning final consonants. So we shouldn't really freak out about it. Uh, like a lot oh. of speech pathologists would have a tendency to do. So you, you, what you said is perfect. You're just happy he's learning that there's a sound there at the end. And so lots of toddlers will use that uh there as a way to kind of mark, hey, I know there's supposed to be a sound there. And so that actually tells me phonologically they know that. And so they're kind of holding that place there. Now they've overemphasized it. Or some kids might even do an uh without even the final sound there. So they might do E uh, for each because they're marking that T. Um, and again, it's not, let me just say, it's not super common, like every kid doesn't do it, but I've heard it enough and seen it enough and read other speech pathologists talk about it enough to know that that's something that happens. And for lots of kids, it's kind of, again, a, it's a step on the way to that final consonant. Another reason some kids do it is because therapists or parents have really focused on them getting that last sound there. So the parent has, or the adult, whoever the adult is, has actually over-modeled or exaggerated that last sound so much that even the parent is doing that without realizing it. So the kid might say, bed for bed, and the parent goes, bed duh because they're trying to get them to hear that there's a last sound there. So I don't oh, know yeah. that you all have done that. So just if if that happened, and it might not even have been you. It might have been, you know, someone else working with him. Uh, so that's why we don't really practice final consonants that have, uh, that are voiced. And again, this is super technical for the podcast, but sounds like egg, or because G, because G is a voiced consonant, it I can see, you know, like an overzealous grandmother practicing with a child and you're she's just hearing him say eh for egg. So she's saying egg 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 to try to get him to hear that last sound. And so again, we kind of sometimes we create that little error because we're not super careful about how we model. So that's just something to think about. I'm not saying that y'all have done that because I don't know you, <laughs> but just listen to see if that's happened or maybe a therapist, since you're getting new therapists or maybe a therapist in the past, kind of was a little overzealous, a little yeah. uh, exaggerated that last sound a little too much, and so I've seen that happen too. So I wanted to kind of okay. point out those two different things that could have happened there. Again, it may not be applicable to your situation, but I want other therapists who are listening to kind of think about that when they're beginning to work on final consonants with a toddler. And again, let me just say, I don't really, a lot of times I don't work on final consonants until children are even close to four because it's really, really important to me that they be talking in phrases and that they, as, in, as far as intelligibility goes, that they have all those other pieces in place that we've already talked about. Correct number of syllables in the words, 
the vowels are correct and that the initial consonants are correct much more so than me looking at that final consonant. And again, you're a mom, you probably are thinking, why is she telling me this? And again, that's super technical, but I just kind of want you to know as far as the hierarchy goes, getting that last sound in there is not as important as some of these other targets. Right, yeah, and I I, I love it. I, I love hearing you talk about technical stuff, so I'm, I have no problem with that. Okay, okay. Well, we are at the end of an hour. Doesn't it fly by when it's in real life? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I know you, you say that you listen. I don't know. I probably shouldn't have said that I'm leading you. I might You might think, man, this hour has been so slow. I can't wait to get off the phone with her. So I probably shouldn't have worded it like that. But anyway. No, it's it's great, and and I thanks so much for this. I just, I, you know, thanks for having me because it was all this information was just it was just really great to hear every single okay. thing that you mentioned. Oh uh, well, good deal. Well, thank you so much. You've been such a sweet, sweet guest. Pearl, is there a product I can send you? Is there a product that you don't have? You kind of sound like you've bought everything that I've written, but I'd love to send you something. To thank you. <laughs> I have teach me to. I have teach me to play with you. Actually, you know the one thing I don't. The one thing I don't have is your original Teach Me to Talk DVD. Well, how about I send funny you that? Because so thank you. I jumped. Yeah. On. <laughs> That's funny. Got everything else. I want you to. E- I want you to email me with your address so that I can send you that DVD to thank you for being on the show. Okay. Thank you so much, Laura. You're welcome. You have a wonderful day, and give your little boy big hugs from me from Kentucky, okay? All right. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thanks so much for a great show, everybody. I hope you'll join me here next week. And listen, if you're a mom and you want this on-air consult for your child and your situation, email me, Laura, at teachmetotalk.com. Thanks so much.